Hello, Herstorians. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and welcome to another episode of Women of Herstory, a podcast dedicated to celebrating women who have made or are making their mark on our society. Today with me is Within Weatherton the Third. Hello. How is everyone's day? <laughs> I'm doing well. A, a high chance of clouds and a very high chance of herstory. Oh, you're going wet. That's funny because I spelt it with a W H E. Well, I don't. I don't care how you spell my name. I'm a weatherman. <laughs> oh, that's I didn't. All. I didn't know you were a weatherman. Yeah. Well, that's that's how I got in the profession because oh, because you're the third. Yeah. Well, I'm the third. A yeah, whole line a generation of, of weather people. Actually, <laughs> my great grandmother was a oh boy weather person. <laughs> That's funny. How's your day going? It's going well. Well, you guys, May in the United States, at least, is Mental Health Awareness Month. And so we just wanted to say, go see a therapist. (laughs) Therapy's great. No, I'm just kidding. If you need help, (laughs) ask for some help. Don't be afraid. It's okay. It's important to make sure that we all get the um, help and the attention that we uh, need at some point or another. We're not alone in the struggle. You know, we're all we're all together in this and so don't go it alone. Yeah, don't go it alone. That's really good. Well, on that note, (laughs) today's herstory lesson is a little bit different. We are going to be talking about influential writer, suffragette, and fashion influencer of the way back when, Amelia Jenks Bloomer. Are you ready to get fashionable? Please. (laughs) Help me. (laughs) Amelia was born on May 27th, 1818 in Homer, New York, to parents Ananias and Lucy Jenks. After receiving just a few years of formal education, Amelia had a brief stint as an educator when she was 17 years old. Soon after this short-lived endeavor, Amelia decided to move in with her newlywed sister, Elvira, who was living in Waterloo. And I just love that there's a real person who was named Elvira. That's my favorite thing in the world. Yeah, I wonder who, wonder where her parents heard that name where they were like, that's going to be like, our daughter's They were like, we have Amelia name. and we have Elvira. Elvira, yeah. <laughs> Amelia and Elvira, they were just missing Elmira. And then it would have been the trifecta. Within a year of the initial relocation, she moved into the home of the Orrin Chamberlain family in Seneca Falls as their live-in governess for the family's three youngest children. So we also have an Orrin in this. I feel like those are just quite... Names that don't exist anymore. Yeah. (laughs) Except on Parks and Rec. Oh, yeah. So that still doesn't exist anymore. It's (laughs) a name of a bygone era. Quickly after her arrival in Seneca Falls, she became active in the political and social communities there. She joined the church, volunteered with the Temperance Society, and even wrote to newspapers around the country denouncing slavery and promoting equality for women in education, employment, and property rights. On April 15, 1840, 22-year-old Amelia married law student Dexter Bloomer. We got a Dexter in here, too. (laughs) This this is all about names. Best names ever. Mm. (laughs) 
He saw her passion for activism and supported her completely. Good man. He even encouraged her to write for his New York newspaper, Seneca Falls County Courier. Oh. I know. And Amelia even started a column covering a wide variety of nice. topics. Right? Nice. I love that. We we love we love supportive people. <laughs> In 1848, she attended the Seneca Falls Convention, the first women's rights convention. Nice. That's that's cool to have been like, you know, at the first one, especially right? working at a working for the newspaper. I'm sure she was able to get a good story. Mm-hmm. Good scoop. Because of a deep connection to the Episcopal Church, though, she was a bit conflicted and she didn't sign the Declaration of Sentiments. The Declaration of Sentiments also known as the Declaration of Rights and Sentiments, was modeled after the Declaration of Independence, outlining rights for women alongside men. It was signed by 68 women and 32 men at the convention, 100 out of the 300 attendees. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I wonder why more people Did, didn't sign. I think people were, were only probably afraid. Able to sign? I think, no, I think they were just kind afraid. of af- afraid. This convention inspired her to start her own newspaper. In 1849, Amelia Bloomer began The Lily, the first newspaper owned, edited, and published by and for women. Wow. I know. Long overdue, even for that time. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's like millennia later. Like, women have existed for all of time. These are the stories of women today. (laughs) Quote... It was a needed instrument to spread abroad the truth of a new gospel to women, and I could not withhold my hand to stay the work I had begun. I saw not the end from the beginning and dreamed where to my propositions to society would lead me. That's that's great. You I'm, know, to be able to want to open the door like that, mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. leave the, the to leave the door open to for feel so passionately called to mm-hmm. to like make these sort this type of publication. Yeah. It was published bi-weekly from 1849 to 1853. 49 to 53. Yes. Okay. Oh, four years. That's pretty good. Yeah. It began as a temperance journal, and in the end, the publication had a wide variety of topics, from recipes to moralist tracts and women's rights. During this time, female lecturers were generally considered shrill and unseemly, She felt that writing was the best way for women to work for reform, for people to actually listen, you know, where they're like, if they if they can read it in their own voice, in their brain, (laughs) they are going to be more receptive. Yeah, they're going to relate, be able to relate to it more. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Amelia first planned for the lily to be for, quote, home distribution among the Seneca Falls Ladies Temperance Society that was formed in 1848. The newspaper ended up with a circulation of over 4,000 people. Some sources even say as much as 6,000. The same year she started the lily, Amelia met Elizabeth Cady Stanton. Stanton wrote numerous articles for the Lily under the pseudonym Sunflower, which I'm obsessed with. I did not know about this. (laughs) Sunflower. Her earliest articles dealt mostly with temperance, childbearing, and education. And then she shifted her focus of the issues of women's rights. 
Stanton heavily impacted and influenced Amelia's outlook, recalling a case of an elderly friend who was kicked out of her home when her husband died without a will, which is, I just cannot believe that that, oh, yeah. that's a different topic. Yeah. I'll get into that. Next episode. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Stanton wrote, quote, later, other similar cases coming to my knowledge made me familiar with the cruelty of the laws toward women. And when the Women's Rights Convention put forth its declaration of sentiment, I was ready to join with that party in demanding for women such change in laws as would give her a right to her earnings and her children a right to wider fields of employment and a better education and also a right to protect her interest at the ballot box. Like the most basic of human rights. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Ones that most people don't think of twice about. And by most people, I mean men. Yep. (laughs) The newspaper encountered obstacles in its publication as the society's enthusiasm died, but she felt a commitment to continuing publishing. She assumed all of the responsibilities for editing and publishing. Yeah. Your task is everything. It's like, oh my God. When at first the masthead read, quote, published by a committee of ladies, after 1850, only her name appeared. The Lily served as a model for later periodicals focused on women's suffrage. One of the most controversial subjects she promoted in the paper was a change in dress standards for women. Quote, the costume of women should be suited to her wants and necessities. It should conduce at her health, comfort, and usefulness. (laughs) Put a pin in this for just a second. More on that. Shortly. Put a pin on that, right? Yeah. Like, uh, you know, like what you would do with, like, material, you know. (laughs) Put a pin in it. We got puns. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, He he tried. (laughs) He was reaching. Ditching works, actually. He just knows that there's a pin and, like, a a thread involved. Anyway, (laughs) material, and I don't know. Fabric. I think think clothes just show up as they are, (laughs) in my mind. One trick. In 1849, her husband, Dexter, was elected the postmaster for Seneca Falls. He immediately appointed his wife as assistant slash deputy postmaster, and she was the first U.S. woman to hold this position. Mm. I love him. He's like, and bring in my wife yeah, because she's dope. She she helped me (laughs) find my shoes. She might be helpful here, too. (laughs) She described her experience as a, quote, practical demonstration of a woman's right to fill any place for which she had a capacity. Amelia even used her office as a makeshift headquarters for the Seneca Falls women's rights movement. That's excellent. That's a great use of her her power and, you know, capability. Mm -hmm. And space, everything. Mm -hmm. In 1851, temperance activist Elizabeth Smith Miller, a.k.a. Libby Miller, wore a pair of loose trousers gathered at the ankles, topped by a short dress or skirt and a vest. I didn't know Libby was sh- uh, was a short version of Elizabeth. Yeah. I've never heard of that. I've heard like Liz or Lizzie or, you know, I've never yeah. heard of Libby for Elizabeth. Sorry. What did you think Libby was short for? Oh, no. I mean, I mean, Elizabeth, but I, you know, you like, had to, just like, hadn't like, heard like, them directly. So like it, briefly in Lost, that character Libby is, is she like her name is Libby, not Elizabeth. Mm hmm. Well, you I know? don't know. I mean, that's what they never we, said it, right? But that's what they right. called her, just Libby. Mm-hmm. So you know, you saying Libby after Elizabeth, I, I, I just it never connected. It redawned those on me. Mm-hmm. It was a new. Mm-hmm. It was a new dawning. It was mm-hmm. a redawning. <laughs> Miller showed off her outfit for her cousin Katie Stanton, 
who adopted the look immediately, finding it sensible and becoming. Sporting the look, she visited Bloomer, who in turn promoted it in her magazine. The articles were then picked up by the New York Tribune, calling it, quote, the Bloomer costume, or Bloomers for uh, short. Uh, Have you heard of Bloomers? I was going to. I was going it's to. Bloomers. Yeah, I thought I was going to say it, but I wanted you we to get to bloomers. it because I think that's what it was. Yes. That's, um, yes. It's, yeah. Isn't that so into I so grew up wearing Bloomers all the time under my dresses so that I could run around and, like, play at the park and in the mud without flashing the world, you know? Well, that's, I'm glad that they were that practical. She promoted the look for numerous reasons, including the fact that the standard dress for women at the time was hazardous for women's health, and it was especially restrictive. Quote, let men be compelled to wear our dress for a while, and we should soon hear them advocating for a change. <laughs> so let's chat so true. fashions of the time for women. Boned bodices have been a part of everyday wardrobes for women across the world for centuries. Boned bodices? Yes. Hmm. So, um, like a corset. Okay. But it wasn't until the invention of the metal eyelet in the 1820s and 1830s that um, that what was known as tight lacing became a thing. So before it was just a corset that just kind of like sucked you in, but it didn't do damage because it was just kind of a boned bodice that made it look like your shape was um, more constricted, but not actually doing damage to your organs. Okay. Okay. So. I'm following. (laughs) Tight lacing is exactly what it sounds like. Pulling and tying laces of a corset as tight as you possibly can in, in order to achieve the desired shape which is usually an hourglass shape. There are numerous health risks of tight lacing and large dresses combined. The corsets were laced so tightly that breathing would be restricted. This led to fainting spells that were so common that those around a woman who passed out would simply loosen the laces to help her breathe, and once she regained consciousness, they would all act like nothing had happened in the first place. It's like a manual torture rack. Oh, basically. That sounds, that mm-hmm. sounds horrible. The, I'm so sorry. <laughs> the, the lower lobes of the lungs were prevented from expanding fully, making lung conditions like tuberculosis and pneumonia, which were rampant at the time, significantly worse. Compressed abdominal organs caused poor digestion and rib deformities. Mm-hmm. Long-term effects even included back and pectoral muscle atrophy. Okay, so the corset boning would do the work um, of keeping the wearer's back straight, which then created a greater reliance on the corset, and then the muscles would just kind of dissolve. Oh, my God. And then that's super painful. Oh, my God. I know we've seen some videos of, like, of uh, women who have, like, worn corsets for like the majority of the day and then they actually they get like that like like their mm-hmm. their muscles atrophy yeah like, mm-hmm. the, they, mm-hmm. the, like the middle part of them becomes like deformed because mm-hmm. it just kind of like yep. alters their physicality that's scary what a, what an awful what like i mean yeah i, I don't even know if that's like uh, 
Oh, oh, it seems oh, like we're it gonna seems keep... like a, you know, like one of those things they use in the French Revolution, you know, that they could have thought of, like kind of like a guillotine, where it's like what are there, what other sort of like torture devices? Yeah, yeah, torture devices. That's mm-hmm. the one. Let's put let's put a corset on women and then make them think they have to look a certain way and then they'll die of tuberculosis or some and they respiratory just will pass disease. Out. Yeah, <laughs> their organs will be deformed and like, misplaced. That seems so specific and thought out. It sounds mm-hmm. like a man made that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, The Lancet, one of the world's oldest medical journals, published two articles. The first on June 14, 1890, called Death from Tight Lacing. Jeez. I can summarize the article with a quote from it. Quote, cannot be but hurtful. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that was... <laughs> I mean, you summarize you summarize the article with just the title, just like I, <laughs> well, the, if, yeah, yeah, the headline. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. The second was published on January sixteenth, eighteen ninety two, titled quote, "Effects of Tight Lacing." Quote: The verest novice in anatomy understands how, by this process, almost every important organ is subjected to cramping pressure. Its functions interfered with and its relations to other structures so altered as to render it, even if it were itself competent, a positive source of danger to them. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. I mean, <laughs> let's not. Yeah. It's like, yeah. the good effects of smoking cigarettes are, like, get out of here. Are you might get skinny. Nicotine's <laughs> good for 30 seconds, and you do get skinny, but side cons are, like, there's so many cons. There's, like, mm-hmm. nothing good, really. William Henry Flower, a surgeon, included tight lacing as a deforming fashion in his book, Fashion in Deformity. It was an 85-page volume that included skull shaping, foot binding, and tooth filing, as well as illustrations of tight lacing's effects on the ribcage. While the practice did cause waists to shrink, it was because the internal structure of the body shifted to accommodate the constriction. French doctor Ludovic O'Followell published books on the ill effects of the practice in 1905 and 1908. He had something others didn't. In a striking contrast to illustrations of the past articles, O'Followell used x-rays to show the effects. X-rays were like new on the scene. (laughs) They were included in a paper called Le Corset, in which he cited novelist Arabella Keneally. They wrote an article about the ill effects in 1904 with an account of a most likely non-existent experiment involving monkeys wearing corsets and blaming corsets for bad language, but... Uh, No. Anyway, I'm not going to even give that any attention. Silly cursing monkeys. It got too much attention back then. It deserves no more attention. (laughs) Despite that super weird account, the x-rays were shocking. And I've looked at them, and they are available on the interwebs. Um, Some images are not safe for work, so make sure you're smart about it. Of the of the X-rays. I'm sorry, I was thinking a monkey monkeys. in a corset. I was like, that that's that. Why? That's hilarious. Like, I'm even more mad about the situation. No word. <laughs> no, okay, but that use makes your sense. discretion in looking up those. Um, Thank you. I will. Those X-rays, yeah. but they're really they're wild. Okay, I'll check them. Out. <laughs> the corset and large dresses fell out of fashion in the 1920s with the advent of flapper dresses. They provided an androgynous shape in rebellious response 
too tight lacing. So that's, you know, fashion is a commentary always. Oh, sure. And I think people forget that until, you know, you really look at what is happening and why we are using the fashion we're using. You know, it's interesting. Now, what's weird is that his intentions behind the publications, um, I'm talking about Ophala Well, Mm -hmm. uh, was not to actually abolish the corset, but to encourage the development of a healthy and comfortable corset option. Of course, right. Which is actually, you know, like, it's been done at this point. Now, there are also, like, right now, there's things called, like, waist training, which is tight lacing. It's what it is. Um, it's bad. Stop doing it, ladies. <laughs> it's still kind of like a thing, and I, mm, you're okay. going gonna to hurt your organs. Anywho, <laughs> it's understandable that women were itching to wear anything but this literally life-threatening fashion. Unfortunately, women who had adopted the bloomer costume were subjected to incessant ridicule in the press and harassment on the street. Even bloomer herself dropped the look in 1859 because people were just like harassing them so much. They were like, hey, you're a woman and you have a bloom and you're wearing bloomers. But before it was like, hey, you're a woman. And then, yeah. you know, just be yeah, like, exactly. That's it. Like, now it's when, like, hey, you're a woman. Stop no, wearing pants. Like, it, there, yeah, each era is just h- highlights how crazy mm-hmm. ridiculed women were for no reason. Yeah. Like, they didn't even need a reason to be like, witch, or, you know, yeah. like, she's evil or something absurd. Yeah. So, bloomers. Mm-hmm. Bloomers mm-hmm. was the was the trend was to, the hate, to hate on women for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Annoying. In 1851, Amelia introduced Elizabeth Cady Stanton to Susan B. Anthony. Oh, she put them together? Yes. Oh, Can you believe nice. it? That's incredible. That's a good person. You know, She that means she She's knew She's a people. connector, she yeah. Was in, yeah. She, she was, was all about mm-hmm. just making like that. networking for she other women. She was the person to know. She was like, oh, I got a friend. Yeah. And then the other girl was like, oh, I got a friend. And then <laughs> that's how they both met. And then they were like. Stanton said later of the meeting, quote, I liked her immediately, and why I did not invite her home to dinner with me, I do not know. Oh. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. She's like, this is a girlfriend for life. Yeah. <laughs> In 1853, Amelia and Dexter moved to Council Bluffs, Iowa. Amelia tried to keep the lily going, but the move made that infinitely more difficult. From Seneca Falls, right? Yeah. From New York to, uh, to uh, Iowa. Iowa. Mm-hmm. She decided to sell the lily to Mary Birdsall in Richmond, Indiana. Reports indicate that Birdsall and Dr. Mary F. Thomas kept the publication going until 1859. In 1855, Amelia and Dexter helped to establish the public school system and a library in Council Bluffs. They were deeply involved in community and church activities, and they supported co-ed education— even housing some of the teachers in their home when needed. That's really nice that they still um, mm-hmm. were on their hum- humanitarian oh, flow. absolutely. They even never going, stopped. You know, yeah, moving from state to state. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They insisted that women teachers be paid the same as the men. Women teachers. doing the same job. Women teachers. <laughs> like, of course, I mean, yeah, like, yeah. damn, that sucks. Yeah. It should just be, like, mm-hmm. teachers, and then mm-hmm. they should just get paid equally. And yep. then, but, nope. Dumb. <laughs> Dumb. Good for them, though. I'm so glad that yeah. they were uh, involved in that way. And the education system, too, for for their neighborhood. I feel mm-hmm. like that's, that's how it starts. That's Absolutely. how you better the, gen- the future generations. Mm-hmm. 
A year later, Amelia gave a women's suffrage lecture before the Nebraska House of Representatives. Oh, she's all over. Okay. And then helped to organize the Council Bluffs Temperance Society. In 1867, Bloomer attended the National Women's Suffrage Association meeting in New York. She was elected one of the vice presidents, a position she held until her death. A few years later, in 1869, she represented Iowa at the American Equal Rights Association in New York City. And in 1870, she was instrumental in organizing the Women's Suffrage Society in Council Bluffs. Oh, she's such a good... She's oh, my God. A, like a... Like an, like a Hard work, like dedicated, Such an advocate, determined, yeah. Always. Mm-hmm. She's like, I've got a voice. I'm going to keep using it until you guys I literally. I have a space. Yeah. I have a mm-hmm. power. Yeah, a voice, like mm-hmm. you said. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She's like, and I, I have a way with words. Yeah. <laughs> Amelia was the president of the Women's Suffrage Society in Council Bluffs from 1871 to 1873. She was relentless in her dedication to the temperance movement, though, meaning that a lot of her ideas were at odds with the other activists who were focusing on different topics of women's rights. So she was a little more focused on while we are gaining equality, let's make sure we're also looking at our morality. And most people are like, we'll address that later. Let's get this done first. That's kind of where the at odds places were, uh, but I, it was all well-intended. Sure. No, of course. You know? On the same side, there's, like, differentiating, like, of course. ideologies, which mm-hmm. is fine because they're fighting for the same general mm-hmm. thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Amelia wrote periodicals on women's rights throughout her life and led suffrage campaigns in Nebraska and Iowa. She was the only Iowa woman to speak publicly for women's rights before the Civil War, which uh, erupted in 1861. So that's kind of interesting to me that she was the one who was the most, like, publicly, vocally, and from Iowa. Like, the, you know, that's where it is. It, uh, based on what I've gathered, it's mostly been East Coast and Southern women who have been this vocal. And when you get over into, like, the Iowa and that area, yeah, there was a lot less um, – vocal uh, the the movement was slowly reaching there you yeah. know and it's it's interesting to think that all that that you know that was happening prior to the civil war mm-hmm. um you know it's 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 annoying that there was that sort of geographical warfare which yeah, it's over, very strange and and more or less the like human rights like women's rights were um you know, they might have taken like a bit of a back seat because there was like this a bunch north of other versus crazy south, stuff going like, on, yeah. Swinging pricks, you know, <laughs> just like, you know, very annoying. But mm-hmm. all, all that is to say, like, you know, the, the a lot of women fought so hard, you know, to get like a platform. Mm. And then I hope not, slash, I wonder if the uh, women's rights movement was like um, put on the back burner. Stalled. Yeah, yeah it I wonder was. if it stalled. Definitely. Like, like uh, a lot because of the war efforts, mm-hmm. which is interesting because if the men were going off to fight the wars, then it was like okay, then the women are around. Then there would there might inherently be more like. But women, it's like, like when you think about coming together to be like the men are gone. We need to do something. Like in World War Two, when all the men were gone. Th- well, th- literally, just say. in our most recent episode last week, we were talking about how women weren't in the labs, and then now they're 
now the, all the men were gone fighting and then all the women were in the labs, but right. not everyone was as qualified because right. they hadn't been given the opportunity. So it's just I on guess, repetition. I guess in terms of the Civil War. It's just War, forever they always happening. They weren't leaving the country, so it wasn't like, yeah, anyway. Okay. Yeah. In 1880, Amelia wrote the main portion of the chapter on Iowa in Volume 3 of The History of Women's Suffrage, published in 1887 by Susan B. Anthony. Mm. Wow. Mm -hmm. On November 7th, 1893, Colorado women were granted the right to vote. Yes. Something that Amelia was able to celebrate shortly before her death in 1894 at the age of 76. Well, I'm, I'm glad she was able to at least see, mm -hmm. you know, some of the fruits of her work and labor possibly mm -hmm. being upheld. Absolutely. She and her husband, Dexter, are both buried at Fairview Cemetery in Council Bluffs, Iowa. Amelia Jenks Bloomer was inducted into Iowa's Women's Hall of Fame in 1975, and 20 years later, she was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame. I'm glad her efforts were recognized like that. Mm -hmm. I agree. I'm so glad that she's been noted as like a prominent woman in the women's rights movement. Mm -hmm. I'm going to end on this quote. It will not do to say that it is out of women's sphere to assist in making laws. For if that were so, then it should be also out of her sphere to submit to them. Mike, Damn. drop. And like, if you're not going to help, let me help make these laws, then I shouldn't have to follow them. <laughs> I mean, and she, you know, she she started to pave her own lane, too, and she paved the lane for future pu uh, female publications. Mm -hmm. you and know? she also helped to connect the just crucial some, women yeah, in the movement. Some important, player, some important female players in the mm -hmm. movement and, mm -hmm. and also to help. Um, increase the um, education system or to help amplify, rather, the education system in Iowa mm. um, and in other states, too, with her with her efforts in writing and publication. I mean, you know, it you, you, it's like you have to see that representation in order to know that 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 exists mm. and that you can do it, too. Otherwise, who's going to know to take that first step or to, you know, that that door is open if you don't see someone else? With their hand on the doorknob, mm. you know, like mm -hmm. it's so important. Where even if like she only, like her work only went so far, it's important to note that she took those necessary steps because there wouldn't. I mean, you know, it's like we, it's kind of it's interesting to think that maybe there wouldn't be like successful publications like Miss Magazine mm -hmm. and you know even like Absolutely. female anchors in the news today if it were if it weren't for the steps especially in America yeah you know especially you know take like that mm -hmm, absolutely and it also helped that you know her her husband was someone who was like I see it I see it in you here's this I see how passionate it's you like, are you can make moves with your pen and also for him too to support Mm -hmm. her. But it's like when you're walking uh, in a in a like in a snowstorm and you see some snow, uh, some footsteps in front of you. Like, OK, you know that, you know, you can make this, this has trip. Been a travel if you don't path. see mm -hmm. it before, uh, if you don't see those footsteps before you and it snows a lot, that's daunting. Because uh -huh. if, if there's like a lot of there's a lot of like snowfall, you're just lost <laughs> in it. And then you're trudging through the blizzard. <laughs> Are you... If you see the footsteps, you can like you can you, you internalize with yourself like someone made it before me. Like I can do this yeah. like this is not the snowfall is not that heavy there's a lot of snow in my way 
but it, it is possible to, you know, persevere. I love that. She was a saintly woman, and I'm glad that she was able to, to uh, get her work out in news publications and through the just the w- women's movement in general. Mm-hmm. Thank you, historians, for tuning in again. Follow, subscribe, get some merch, wear it around the office, even if it's a home office. We got comfy sweatshirts, guys. Please. Come back this Friday for an interview with podcaster and up-and-coming sportscaster Keisha Swafford. Nice. In this interview, she tells us about her passion for sports, struggles she's encountered along the way, and her podcast, Ballin' with Keisha. Yeah, we love that. so good. You know, I like sports. I do, too. I've played sports. I've played sports. Yeah. I do do sports. Sports things. Mm Mm-hmm. Basketball with the... Win the thing. You know, there's a lot of (laughs) touchdowns and, you know, ice. Follow our social medias for extra daily inspiration and updates. Instagram. At Women of Her Story Podcast. TikTok. At Her Story Podcast. Twitter. At The Her Story Podcast. Facebook. At Women of Her Story. And visit our website at... Ofherstory.com. Until Friday, be safe, stay healthy, and show the world what you're made of. Get vaccinated. Bye. Bye.